I want to share a message tonight that is a little bit vulnerable. So not coming in so much into the situation tonight saying, hey, here comes the pastor and going to share one of these amazing messages. I'm really just wanting to share more about my life, my heart. And I want to share about a text that changed my life. And when I say that, there's no hype, there's no hyperbole. It's a real thing. This text, the one like came on my phone, changed my life. In some ways, it may have saved my life, but it absolutely changed my life, and it continues to change my life all the way in tonight. And I want to tell you about that text, but before I tell you about the text that came on my phone, I want to tell you about how the text that came on my phone turned into a text in the Word of God, and I want us to look at that text first, and then we'll talk about the other text in a little bit, and maybe both of those texts will speak into your life, into your story, the same way they spoke into my life and into my story. The text and the word we're going to go to, most, most famous passage of Scripture in the Bible. I love putting that out there because everybody's mind's turning right now, like I should know the answer to this. There's not a right answer, but what do you think? Uh, what's the most famous passage of Scripture in the Bible? Anybody? Lots of different answers in there. I couldn't hear or make out any of them, so I'll just go with... Uh, Psalm 23. Anybody go with Psalm 23 just a minute ago? Who went with uh, John 3.16? Everyone went with John 3.16. Probably the most famous reference and maybe the most famous verse. But the most famous passage, I believe, is Psalm 23. And I want to ask God through the power of the Holy Spirit if he'll open our minds up to the revolutionary nature of this text. Because when we start Psalm 23, almost everybody can go with us. Now, you may have just walked in. You saw people coming in the Wilton. You said, I got time. And you came in, and you're like, I don't know what this is, and I don't know who you are, and I don't know what Psalm 23 is. But I bet almost everybody in the place can go a little ways on Psalm 23. Let's try it. Are you ready? Here we go. Off the top. The Lord is my shepherd. You take it. And, oh, okay, you're going to take the whole thing. I thought you were just going to take, like, the first verse. You know Psalm 23, and I think that's the problem. We know Psalm 23. And when we hear Psalm 23, what happens to me sometimes is I go back to, like, my grandma's house. I go back to, like, needlepoint or a cross stitch or something that's just nice and, and cuddly and gentle and familiar. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And I miss the revolutionary nature of the Word of God. Because Jesus is making us a promise in this text. And the promise is that if we will let him lead our lives, some amazing things are going to happen. Listen to what's going to happen. The first thing, and I, I can't get too bogged down in the text because I want to speed up to verse 5. The first thing that's going to happen, he said, I'm going to make you lie down in green pasture. We all need that. And just to kind of get us on the same page, when he says he's going to make us lie down in green pasture, that's not a compliment to you and me. In fact, Psalm 23 is not like a pep talk for you and me about how great we are. It really is a reminder that oftentimes we don't see too good and we don't make the best decisions. So we would need a shepherd that would actually make us lie down in a green pasture. Because at times I'm not smart enough to lie down in a green pasture. Has anybody ever had the Lord help you or make you lie down for a minute? Anybody know what I'm talking about? And you didn't like it and you didn't want it. And you fought against it, and then finally you were laying down, and you went, man, I needed to lay down. 
I didn't really want these to be the circumstances by which I laid down, but man, did I need to lay down. I want to remember going forward that I need to lay down more. He makes me lie down in green pasture. He doesn't make me do something that I don't want to do. He makes me do something I need to do. He leads me, say it with me, beside the still water. You know what that means, by the way? What it means is, is that God cares so much about us that he helps us get over ourselves. Why, why would he need to, to, to lead us to still water? Because a sheep isn't very smart, and a sheep is prone to get into the rushing water. So if there's a big stream coming by, big rapids, a lot of water, a sheep who's really thirsty is prone to say, wow, that looks amazing. I'm thinking I'm going to have a drink right now. Forgetting that its head is covered with wool. That by nature, it doesn't have the best balance. It can't see well. And it's not real smart. But man, is it thirsty. And the sheep goes, wow, oh man, I'm going to get a drink. <laughs> I'm going to get a drink. And as soon as it gets a drink, all the wool gets wet, the head gets heavy, the balance gets unstable, and before you know it, the sheep is in the water going down the rapid, looking back for help. Like this shepherd somewhere, so there's that sheep looking back like, and, and, and fortunately we know a little bit further down that the shepherd's got a rod and a staff. That's the crook. Why does he have the crook? So he can come over and get in the water and get the sheep by the neck and pull it to the side and get it out. Before it's three miles downstream and done. This is us, people. Is that okay to start with a little bit of a looking in the mirror? Is that all right? Is that okay in, in, in Los Angeles, California? We got a good downstairs clap. I don't know about the upstairs. Was that okay for the upstairs up there? Sometimes we don't see good, amen? Sometimes we're a little off balance and we're not as smart as we think we are. Thank God there's a shepherd who is offering to do some phenomenal things for us, like make us lie down, lead us beside the still water, not the crazy water. And what else is he going to do? He's going to make me, he's going to lead me, he's going to restore my soul. He's going to lead me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I am not fearing any evil. You know why? Because you are with me. You are with me in the valley of the shadow of death. This is not grandma and needlepoint. This is like life and death and real serious threat and a shepherd who shows up and says, don't you worry because I am with you. And my rod and my staff, they comfort me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I want to just talk about that for one second because we all are looking for something to comfort us in the valley of the shadow of death. And I just want to make sure we know Jesus is the, is the able one in the valley. 
I grew up in a church where we had Sunday school. Anybody go to Sunday school? That's a long time ago in another world. A few of you went to Sunday school. I was shocked. That was way more people than I was expecting. And when I was in middle school, Sunday school, it was like the most inspiring thing of all time, going to the church I went to, big church downtown Atlanta, Georgia. And we would get into our little seventh grade boys Sunday school room. Let me describe it for you. It was a tan linoleum floor, cinder block walls also painted tan, folding metal chairs, some maps of Paul's journeys. Anybody? Anybody go to that? No? Anybody know who Paul is? Some, some maps of Paul's missionary journeys. A window with some, some blinds looking out. They were always closed. And over on this wall, what was on this wall? Anybody? An Olin Mills photograph of Jesus. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Was it in a round frame or a square frame? Round frame. Oval frame. Gold frame. Yes. Golden oval frame. Do you, you, you got a picture in your mind? What was Jesus doing? We don't have, we have any idea. He looked like he hadn't been outside in a long time. His robe was perfect. His hair was perfect. His beard was perfect. He was perfect. His skin was perfect. Everything was perfect. This is before Photoshop. He was perfect. Back in the day, he was perfect. And somehow they captured him with this really amazing pose. And, and he's, he's looking like off into the, in, into the forever land. <laughs> Clean robe. Perfect beard. Wonderful hair. Far away look. Hey, boys, when you get to be 28 or 35 and your life's on fire, he's going to help you. And man, I, I, I don't know how to get around it. I don't know where that painting came from, that photo came from. I don't know who started that. I'm sure they still sell it, it, it somewhere. I was going to say where, but then I decided not to, which was a good idea. Um, I, I'm sure you can still buy that. And maybe your grandma's got that too. But here's the thing. When we, when we get into the moment we're in right now tonight, what we need is to know when you are in the fire, when you are up against life and death, when the walls are closing in on you and you either think circumstances are going to take you out or that thing going on inside of you is going to take you out, you need to know there is a shepherd and he does not have a faraway look in his eye. He's got a rod in one hand and a staff in the other. And they give me comfort. Why? Because the staff says, even if I do something dumb, he can grab me and pull me to safety. The rod says, you mess with him, I will crush you. You're like, whoa, what kind of Jesus is that? That's the Jesus of Psalm 23. You know what a shepherd's rod was? It was the, it was the shepherd's equivalent of a baseball bat. 
You say, what's a baseball bat? That's the thing you grab when you hear noise in your house at night. You got to get something. A shepherd had a bat, a rod. And when a lion came, he crushed it. David, who wrote this psalm, had taken out a bear and a lion and crushed them into the ground. He understands what God is offering when he says, even if you walk through the darkest valley, I'm going to be in it with you. And not just standing around going, I'm here. I'm going to be in it with you to rescue you when necessary and to protect you at all costs. So you're not going to have to watch over your shoulder every single day of your life. I got it. And then this next line is the crazy line that it took me a while to realize I wasn't sure why it came down like this. Going into verse 5. It says, you prepare, do you know this verse? You prepare what? A table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Now, if I had read, or if I had written the 23rd Psalm, I would have probably done the same up to verse 5. And when it came to verse 5, I would have done something else. I would have said, you prepare a table before me in your presence. Wouldn't you? And it would be awesome if it was a window table. (laughs) So we could watch out the window while you smoke all my enemies. Oh, yes, this is lovely. Oh, good job. Yeah, I told you. I want you to prepare a table before me in your presence, not in the presence of my enemies. I want to be in your presence, Lord. I want my enemies to be finished. And God says, no, this is not how it's going to work. I'm going to do a miracle, and the miracle is I'm going to prepare a table before you, but I'm going to put the table in the middle of the fight. I'm going to put the table in the middle of your enemies. I want to put the table in the middle of the situation, in the middle of the circumstance. It's going to be a table for me and you, but I'm going to put it in the middle of your enemies. Man, this is a crazy and powerful idea. If, uh, if, we, if we had a table, I could show you, and, and of course we do, because Chad and Julia are amazing. And um, we've got a little table right here for two. And uh, it's a picture, I think, that's maybe worth more than a thousand words. Wow, that's pretty special. <laughs> At this time of night, you got the right seat, people. Just imagine that the God of all creation... Prepared a table for you, a table for two. He prepared the table. Okay, can we just like get out of church world for a second? God Almighty prepared a table for you. He's like, have a seat. Did you bring your Old Testament commentary? No, he's like, are you hungry? He, 
he's like, are, 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 would you like something to eat? Here, a kid, can I pour you a glass of water? I'm going to have some too just so you don't have to drink by yourself. <laughs> this is a miracle. And when David spoke about this, it ignited something in the mind of his hearer. Because even in the tabernacle, in the beginning days as the people of God were journeying through the wilderness, there was something called a holy place where God would come and dwell with man. And in this tabernacle that moved along with the people, there was a table of presence. Exodus 20 verse 30 and verse 35 says, put the, the bread of the presence on the table that it would always be before me. So maybe the hearer in, in, in David's time would go, the table. He prepares a table. Oh, the table of presence. Yes, the table of presence. Not some ethereal thing, but a personal presence called your shepherd sitting with you at a table. Almighty God miraculously inviting you into a relationship with him. That's what this means. This table means I love you and Peace between me and you. Any Middle Easterner will tell you in the day of Jesus that to sit down with another person at the table means peace. Presence and peace. No one needs that. But there's a problem. And the problem is we live in a Starbucks world. And we don't have time for tables. And so, do you mind? You just do you mind if I borrow that? Yeah. I like it. It's not even Starbucks. That's even better. <laughs> Here's what we do: we say, "Man, this is phenomenal! You prepared the table. God Almighty invited me to sit down. This is a miracle. I tell you, you are awesome. I love you. I love you. You know I love you. You are incredible. Good Lord, I have a table. I've got a table, man." I gotta get, I gotta, I gotta get going. I've got a table, people. Come on, don't come on with it. What are you talking about? I've got a table. Yes, I do. You're awesome. I'll catch you. I'll catch you. I got you. This is our world. Man, we we are we wonder like what went wrong with my life. We left the Almighty at the table. We're too busy. Too much flow, too big a hurry, too much going on, too much stuff to do. I got somewhere to be. I got, the, I got appointments to keep. I got a life to live. Wow. Wow. Oh, oh, before I leave, though, did you have my phone? Uh, so, thank you so much. I'm, I'm going to get a photo of this real fast, though, because this table <laughs> is, like, unbelievable that all the people here are, like, going crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I'm posting that. We have lost our minds. Literally. We are going crazy. Can I get an amen? We are on medication because we are going crazy. And we had a shepherd who actually created the heavens and the earth and said, I would love for you to sit down at the table. 
But there's a second problem. And the second problem is that it's probably good for me just to put the phone on the table because that's the way it's going to work probably. Is how fast the enemy can get at our table. I, I hate telling this story because I don't, haven't figured out how to tell it without me looking like a punk. And I swear I'm not most days. But really fast, Shelly and I, my wife, uh, were out of the country celebrating her birthday. It had, everything had a line. It was her favorite restaurant in the world on her birthday. And we were there. And I booked us a table. And we sat down. And it was heaven. Now, we were at a four top. You know anything about tables? That means there were a place for four people. But there were only two of us because we were celebrating her birthday. So here we are having a nice time. We're enjoying our meal. Uh, a group gets up from another table. They come by. And a guy kind of looks back like, huh. Walks over to the table says, are, are you Louis Giglio? Like he was shocked that I was out of America or something. I couldn't figure that part out. Like, <laughs> how did you get out of the country? <laughs> like, yeah, you know, even the preachers travel. It's amazing, you know. And he said, uh, I was at a conference a few weeks ago, and you shared something that really touched my life, and I just want to tell you thank you. And I said, gosh, wow, that's pretty awesome. Thank you so much. And he went on. And I said to Shelly, really, I was like, man, what, what life do we live that we are in the story of God like that? Just so miraculous that we would run into somebody randomly, not randomly, in a place, and we weren't even, in, and I was just like, it was so incredible. And the guy... <laughs> They were like, it crushed my heart. <laughs> and so we're talking. Three, four minutes go by. And, and I see the guy coming back to the table. Like making a beeline. I'm like, mm, I forgot his phone. Made me a cue. Some sunglasses. Comes to the table. Walks up and he says, you know what? I got outside. And I told my friend, I believe I have a vision that the Lord wants me to share with Lily." And this is, must be God's will. Because how crazy is this? That we're here and he's here. And I felt for the last few weeks that there's a, I'm supposed to share a vision with Louie. So here, so here he stands telling me. Now, can I just talk for a moment about the Holy Spirit? There is a super fine line. Between being sensitive to the Holy Spirit and having a clue. Is there not? Is anybody with me on that? All right. I needed to know that. Because if you're like, oh, no, what was the word? What was the vision? What did he share? How did it end? I'll tell you how it ended. I said, hey, that's super cool that uh, you had that vision. And I'd love to hear about it some other time. Because tonight it's my wife's birthday. And he said, oh, happy birthday. Anyway, so the thing, and, and that's where it all ended right there. I got in the flesh, so there wasn't even a chance for it to be like a God event after that. Because I'm like sweating at palms and the whole thing. And I said, hey, finally he took a breath. And I said, hey, I'm, I, I don't know how to say this, but... Um, it's my, ah, and he's like got the chair out, and he's like got one knee down, and he's just like right there. And I'm like, ah, I don't think so, man. Not, not tonight. 
And he just looked at me. He was like, like, he's like, yeah. Is that terrible? You kind of think it's terrible, don't you? <laughs> I've been watching you the whole time just because I couldn't tell. And she said no, she said no, he said no. You just went, I'm not sure yet. <laughs> Have a have a brownie. Have, have a have a brownie. It, it might it might help things. You, yeah, you look like you haven't had sugar in the last 17 months, so that'll really that'll really bless you. Maybe put a maybe put an ounce on somewhere. It'd be incredible. Hope it doesn't bust the groove and undo your abs. And so the point is, there was a point. Let me let me bring us back. The point is like. Just like that, the enemy, excuse me, can, can get up to the table. Just like that. And all of a sudden, somehow, he is eating our food. I'm going to scoot over just a little bit because I, I want to be over here. Have you had this conversation? Hey, how, how you doing? You good? You mind? How's things going? Yeah? How's family? How's your wife? <laughs> Listen, man, I'm going to tell you straight up. I don't know how you do it. But you are a legend, man. I mean, I'm telling you, most people couldn't do it. Most people would have been out by now, long gone. But you somehow hang in there. That's phenomenal. I'm telling you, she is like, you're a tough one. Your boss still like, yeah, God, what a jerk. He hates you. That guy is a piece of work. You sleeping? Goodness gracious. You know, the scripture says, 1 Peter chapter 5, that the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion seeking who to devour. He's prowling. He's prowling. The Lord prepared a table, but there's a prowler. He's like, hey, I had a vision I've been really wanting to share with you. About your future. I've been thinking, we need to get out of here. I mean, I need to blow this place up. This place is over for you, man. It's stressing you out. Nobody appreciates you. I mean, think about it. Jennifer, are you kidding me? Good night. And the enemy's at your table. It's like that. All right, how would I know? <clears throat> if I choked on a watermelon seed. <laughs> how would I know? Could I get it out quickly? How would I know if the enemy was at my table? couple of ways. Number one, you have a voice.
playing loudly in your mind that's telling you it's better at another table. Jesus said, fast forwarding to the good shepherd, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. So this is a word. This is a right off the bat first session word. If God's telling you that you need to abandon what you know is of God, and step into that table or that table or that relationship or that circle of people or that situation or that habit, then the enemy is at your table. And he is eating your food and devouring your life. The second way you would know the enemy is at your table is if somehow you're hearing in your mind you're not going to make it. If you've heard playing loudly in your mind, you're not going to make it. You're not going to get through this. You're never going to be back in the black again. It's never going to be like it used to be. You're not going to ever be the same again. You're not going to make it through this. I'm telling you, that is not your shepherd telling you that. That is not the shepherd of Psalm 23 telling you that. Because the shepherd of Psalm 23 told you... We're going to go through the valley of the shadow of death. We're not going to bypass it. We're in it, but we're going through it. So if there's a voice telling you you're not going to make it, it is not your shepherd. It is the enemy sitting at your table. And you know how you know he's sitting there? Because you're starting to repeat him to your friends. So how are you doing? You're like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to make it. How are you doing? I don't know if I'm going to get through this. I swear, I don't know if I'm going to get through this or not. Where did you hear that? From your shepherd? No, you heard that from the enemy who's sitting at your table. And now you're repeating his narrative for your life. I'll tell you a third way you know he's at your table is if you have loudly playing in your mind some version of, I'm not good enough. It is amazing to me how beautiful these people are, Chad and Julia. Best-looking group of people with VU Conference. It's a tie, officially a tie. The best-looking people alive. Zoe, VU Conference. Unreal. And it is amazing to me how all of us in this room are on the outside rocking it. But how many of us on the inside are feeling the opposite of what we're rocking on the outside? How many people sitting in the place right now are feeling some version of, I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not from the right family, I don't know the right people, I don't know if I have what it takes. In our culture, we have shortened the I'm not blank enough to just, I don't know if I am enough. I don't know if I've got what it takes to be a husband. I don't know if I've got what it takes to be a mother. I don't know if I've got what it takes to, to do this thing that God's called me to. I don't know if I am worth it. I don't know if I'm lovable. I don't know if I'm likable. 
I don't even like myself most of the time. I don't know if I'm enough. When Jesus said, I've come that you might have life to the full, listen to the next sentence he said. He said, I am the good shepherd. Hello. And are you ready for the good shepherd? I, or the good shepherd, lays down his life for the sheep. In other words, this little reservation situation cost him everything. What he paid for this table cannot be measured. So when he says, please have a seat, he's not saying, please have a seat. I just don't know if you're good enough. I don't know if you're smart enough. I don't know if you've earned enough. I don't know if you've measured up enough. I don't know if you're lovable enough. I don't know if you're too big of a mess up, really. He's saying, hey, I've already paid for the table. I've already purchased everything. I've already paid the price and laid down my life so that you can sit at the table. And when you sit down at the table, you realize, whoa. I am enough. Not because I'm a stud, but because the the king of kings. Whoo! He is madly in love with me. And he prepared a table for me. Right here in the presence of my enemies. Oh, I'm watching you the whole time. Looking over here, giving me the side eye. Do you see what's happening? I'll tell you, that, the, the, the fourth way you know the enemy's at your table, if you're hearing loudly in your mind, you're surrounded and there's no way out. We all know the story, 2 Kings 6, Elijah, he is surrounded. The, The armies come in in the night. They're after the prophet of God. They surround the whole city. His servant wakes up early and sees all the forces of the the enemy. And he finally wakes up Elijah and says, man, we are hosed, man. They have got us completely locked down here. And God says, "I, I just need you to open the eyes of my servant for a second and let him see what there is to see. And God opened the eyes of the servant. And he went, oh, wow, there are chariots and horses and fire. On every mountaintop. And in fact, Elisha was surrounded. And maybe you're surrounded. Probably not near as bad as the enemy's convinced you. Because he's convinced you everybody's against you. Yep. Everybody hates you. Everybody at work hates you. Everybody in your family hates you. Everybody in your past hates you. Everybody hates you. Everybody's looking at you like they hate you. Anybody got this going on right now? Paranoia. Anybody got paranoia going on right now? Spirit of paranoia came right from hell and not from the good shepherd. The spirit of paranoia says this. Hey, man, uh, we just walked into the restaurant. There's some friends over there. Look, they're not, they didn't even get up to say hello. They hate us. You walked into work and look, oh, oh, Sarah in her cubicle over there. Look, she, just, she didn't even look up from her computer today. She hates me. She must have joined the rest of them. She must have gotten sucked into the whole rest of them over there. They got Sarah now. Man, they got her, and look, they got Jimmy. Look, Jimmy, man, he wouldn't even talk to me. We pass each other going to the elevator. He hates me. Everybody here hates me. I got to quit this job. I got to get out of here because everybody in here hates me. Maybe Sarah's got a deadline. 
but you walked in the door convinced that everybody was against you and everybody hated you, so you came through the door with your fist clenched already because what's going to happen in my world? I don't know about you. It's like when I know you're going to pop me, I'm going to figure out how to pop you before you can pop me. So I'm walking through the house looking like, yeah, who, what, where, yeah, oh, you, okay, yeah, I got you, I see you, yeah, I see you too, all right. This is called the spirit of paranoia, and it makes people crazy. You spend your whole life looking over your shoulder or calling your friend who's got your back. God bless her, Heather. God bless her. She'd been loyal in the fight. But she's five, six. Oh, she's fierce, I know. She weighs 140 pounds. That's what comforts you, me. I am sitting with a shepherd who is bigger than eternity. And what he's saying to me is, Louis. I've got your back. So this text I got. And when I'm talking about this message tonight, I'm not, I didn't read this in a book somewhere. I I spent a a, a big chunk of my life down in a hole of depression and anxiety that almost took me out. I'm an anxiety overcomer. It's still in my story. But it didn't take me out. And I'm here tonight. But I've been down, way, way down. down. Down in a place where you don't go to meetings, you don't go to dinner with people, you don't go out of the house down. Where you think you're not coming back down. And so my message is that this stuff is real. I would never belittle it. It's not bigger than Jesus, though. And coming through that storm... I got in another storm, and it was fierce. There was a lot, of, a lot of looking over my shoulder and a lot of counting up who's with me and who's not. And I, I, I got so frustrated about something that happened that I texted my guy. And I knew that I could text him this text. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I can send this text to him, and I can say, you're not going to believe what I just heard. Have you ever started that text before? You are not going to believe. I'm just leaving all the adjectives and the extra stuff out. I don't know what went in your text. So-and-so, blah, 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 blah. And I, I'm, I, I just turned 61 years old, so hello. Um, for me to write the sizable text I wrote, it took me about 45 minutes. <laughs> and I just needed to reach out to somebody, so I hit send. Ever sent that text? Anybody sent that text before? That's the text when you send it, you just stare at the phone. You, you do not go get something to eat. You do not go like in the other room. You just stare at the phone like, okay, not yet. And what you're thinking the whole time is, maybe, maybe what I'm thinking is, I need a commensurate reply. I need a reciprocal amount of words. Dear Lord, do not send me an emoji. (laughs) I will kill you if you send me a fist bump right now because I sent you a work of pain and suffering. 
And finally the little wheel started turning. I'm like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Please, come, come with me. And uh, the, the text came back, and I looked at it. It was like that big. It was nine words. And I was like, it's, it's nine words. They must have, like, hit sin too soon. You do that, right? You, you get going, and you hit send, and you're like, oh, I'm not finished yet, so you just keep going, and you hit send again. Surely they're going to hit send again. I'm going to wait. Nothing. I'm like, okay, I guess I'm going to have to read the nine words. Here they were. My friend said, don't give the enemy a seat at your table. Oh, come on. What a text. No, hey, man, I'm with you, and I, I can't believe it either. I, I knew they would do that. You know, time tells everything and reveals all motives. Right. And now we're seeing their true colors. So let's get lockstep together and side by side, shoulder to shoulder, and let's bear this thing out together. No. My friend knew what was at stake. And just simply said, don't give the enemy, capital E-N-E-M-E-Y, a seat at your table and I went good Lord I am sitting here talking to a killer and in a moment of revelation and awakening a moment of spiritual cognizance I realized that under the grace and the authority of Jesus I'm not talking about hype And I'm not talking about emotion. I'm talking about deep-rooted authority that has been granted to me by the King of Kings to sit at a table as a son of Almighty God. I'm talking about my position. I'm talking about my identity. I'm talking about the calling that is on my life as a beloved son of Almighty God. I'm talking about how I have access to the power of God. I can take thoughts captive to an obedient to Christ, that I can actually take authority over my thoughts and my attitudes and my table, and I realize that I can take authority on the situation. I can say, hey, you can prowl around. I can't stop you from doing that. That's what you do. But you cannot sit down at my table. This is a table that has been prepared for me. This is my table. This is my shepherd. This is my king. This is my Lord. And I take authority over my table in Jesus' name. You can take authority over your table right now. In Jesus' name. So really quickly, why is the table in the presence of the circumstance, the pressure, the hardship, the difficulty, the attack, the accuser, the false word? Why is the table in the presence of the underminer? 
the jealous person, the spirit of Jezebel that's around you, somebody saying, I, I should have what you have. I should do what you do. I should be in the same place that you're in. And so I'm gonna need to knock you down a, a step or two so that I can move me up a step or two. Or I'm so insecure where I am, I need to make you a little more insecure about where you are. I don't like being the only one at the insecurity party, so I'm gonna start chipping away at your security as well. Why is the table in the presence of the enemies? Because the table ultimately, just, dear God, help us see this. The table ultimately is not about me. God help us get an amen on a bigger story than me. See, you're all worried about like, what, what is that? Is that like mozzarella? Or is that American? Because I, I, I like the provolone. That's a lot of grapes, though. Thank you. <laughs> a lot of grapes. Can I just tell you, the Christian life is not about what's on the table. It's about who's at the table. And ultimately, hello, I hope there's a clap. Ultimately, I'm at the table to exalt the one who made a way for me to be at the table and to say, you are a great king. You are an amazing God. There is none like you. What king would give his life? What king would pay the price? What king would come for someone like me? You are the only God who rescues sinners. You are the only one who came down from heaven. You are the only one who offered grace and not religion. You are the only God who opened my eyes to see that you are the Alpha and the Omega, the glorious God from eternity past to eternity future. You are enough. I'm enough because you're enough. Yes, you are enough. I feel good because you are good. I feel confident because you are God Almighty, sovereign and powerful. I feel at peace because you run stuff. Bible says those who look to him are radiant and their faces are not covered in shame I'm happy I'm in fact glowing a little got enemies everywhere got pressure circumstances diagnosis situations but I feel good in fact, I feel so good, I could say to my enemies, hi. Do you like salami? Well, please, could you just take some then, brother? 
No, take the whole tray. Take the whole tray. Because I got a king, and he probably can get another tray. So just take the whole tray. And, and, and please, uh, would, would you like uh, one of the brownies? I don't know whether you're for me or against me, but you got to be hungry. So could you, could you have a, a brownie? Just pass it down. I got plenty. I'm not hoarding. I'm giving. I'm not fighting. I'm serving. I'm not afraid of people. I'm actually blessing people. I'm not running from people and hiding from people. I'm saying, hey, are you thirsty? Are you hungry? You know why? Because he anointed my head with oil. And guess what? My cup overflows in the middle of the enemies, in the middle of the fight, in the middle of the battle, in the middle of it all. And when I live that life, people stop looking at the person in this chair and they start looking at the person in that chair. People go, what happened to you? Who is that? Who is that man? God. Lion. And Jesus gets glory. That's why he didn't put the table in his presence. Because he wants to get glory in the presence of whatever this world says is greater than him. Don't give the enemy a seat at your table. It's nine words. Can you say it with me? Don't give the enemy a seat at your table. I hope you know tonight that this conference is about real life. There's not going to be a message at this conference where people say, oh, don't worry about it. No bumper sticker slogans. No little buttons. We understand, I understand, more, more God understands, and some of you are thinking about taking your life. Some of you are in the, in the, in the battle, in the fight. You didn't know if you were going to make it into this building today. It is all you could do to get in the building. But the king is great. The king is great. Zoe, the king, he is great. And maybe the enemy has tried to knock him down a notch or two, but tonight he's rising back up. He's coming back on the wings of faith in your heart. And he's saying, I am bigger than the darkness. I am bigger than depression. I am bigger than stress and anxiety. I am bigger than suicidal thoughts. I am bigger than whatever cancer has come, whatever diagnosis has come, whatever situation, whatever death has come, whatever darkness has come. I am greater. And I prepared a table.